right. Amen. Everybody doing good today? Good day. It's a good day. It's a good day. And uh, congratulations to our seniors. I know you guys are kind of scattered around and got with your family and stuff. But, man, we're super proud of you guys. And that was a really good-looking group of uh, young people up there that will hopefully go out and be uh, world changers. Man, that's what we're praying for, right? And, uh, hey, if you're watching online, man, welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, today uh, we're kicking off a new series called Triggered. And uh, Triggered is something that uh, can come across as a little bit negative. We want to kind of reclaim that today. And um, anyway, I've asked Pastor Bill Benson, uh, who works with our young adults, to come out and join me today. So he's going to be team teaching with me today, so it's going to be a little bit different. And, uh, so come on out, Bill. And uh, there's Bill. And Bill is uh, who will be working with a lot of our graduating seniors. We'll be moving up into that area that you're t- over, right? So that's, uh, you've got a, got a whole new uh, crew coming in. So that's awesome. Now, some of them will be going off to college, but we're, uh, we're okay with that. Because we hopefully, uh, we're going to pray that they're going to get involved in the church and get plugged in and connected there. And not just kind of go off and kind of drift. We want to see them go out and be, like I said, world changers and making a difference. And so, so glad you guys are here today. But we're going to dive in. And uh, we're in a series called Triggered. And uh, the cool thing about uh, this is, like I said, it it has negative connotations. But we want to reclaim. That's what the enemy loves to do is make negative things. And uh, for many of you guys, even hearing the name, you're going, ooh, that doesn't, you know, I need to, I've got triggers or whatever. We're going to see about what God has to say about triggers. And Bill, I'm going to let you take this first part right here. Why don't you run with that? So, uh, so we talk a lot about what it means to be triggered, and uh, you know that's very, kind of an interesting term anyway because it means something different for everybody. Um, you know, I can be triggered by the person who's driving in front of me. Uh, I can be triggered by a baby, baby crying, and then all of a sudden I'm triggered because I'm like, oh, the baby's crying again, honey, it's your turn. You know, we have those moments, or you know, sometimes we're triggered by a baby laughing, which is a whole different trigger uh, that we deal with in life. And, uh, but honestly, what we're trying to focus on is uh, May is considered uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And so that's really kind of what we're focused on. And, uh, and you guys may not completely be aware of this, but uh, I actually work. Uh, I have a, an, another job. I work in the foster care system. And so I work with young people that are between the ages of 14 and 21 to help them successfully age out of foster care. And so we deal with a lot of that, deal a lot with mental health, a lot of what they deal with uh, centers around uh, their mental health and how they manage that uh, because a lot of times they don't have parents in their life um, that are able to do those kind of things. And so, uh, and a trigger for a foster kid is way different sometimes than triggers that some of us deal with. You know, a trigger, you know, for us may be a smell that we remember from our grandmother's house or, you know, something that our dad used to say to us all the time. And then when it comes out of your mouth, you have just triggered yourself to be your dad, you know. And so we have uh, those moments. Uh, but we wanted to use this uh, definition right here uh, just to kind of put some points out there to you that according to the World Health Organization, mental health is the state of well-being uh, in which an individual realizes his or her own abilities can cope with their normal stresses of life and can productively and is able to make contributions to his or her own community. And I know that's a lot of terms, but uh, some of us feel that way as adults and some of us don't. And uh, a couple of things I wanted to share with you guys as far as Alabama goes is, um, is that mental health is a big deal in Alabama. In fact, it's actually considered, if I can uh, make sure I say this right, it's uh, actually considered in Alabama mental health and substance abuse is ranked as Alabama's first health indicator. And so they have indicators that they, that they guide in understanding what's going on in our state. And so mental health and substance abuse is tied together in that and is a big deal for us. Uh, it is... Um, some of the things that people deal with is suicide and, and depression. Suicide is ranked 10th as the leading cause of death in the United States. It's ranked 12th as the leading cause of death in Alabama. And, um, and here's a statistic that I thought was very interesting just to kind of paint that picture. Um, in 2019, which is where the latest we had stats from, uh, there were over 47,000 people uh, that committed suicide in the United States. 47,000 people. Now, before you start assessing how many that is, uh, Prattville has a little over 38,000 people. Yeah. 
So that means like the entire city of Prattville would all mass suicide. That's represented uh, in what the United States. And that's a big deal because those are people who have reached a place in mental health where they're saying, hey, I'd rather not be here anymore than to deal with whatever I've got going on. The other thing that's interesting is that um, in Alabama is one out of every four people, about 24.7 something percent of people deal with depression. And so just to kind of put that in perspective, that would be one, two, three, depressed. One, two, three, depressed. One, two, I'm just joking. I don't know if you are or not, but I'm just saying that's kind of how that looks. So if you're in a group of four, there may be one of you there that is. And so that's kind of why, you know, we're kind of setting that platform and talking about that today. Yeah, so a quarter of this room, if we were to say a quarter of this room, you know, battles depression. And, uh, and for somebody who's never battled depression, you may not understand how that works. But for someone who is battling depression, it's a very real thing. I mean, it's tough to get out of the bed. It's tough to stay motivated to keep moving. Even that little uh, bumper intro right there it kind of talked about, you know, the struggles and how, how the struggles can be very real. But God has a plan and God has a purpose. And, and so hopefully, like for some of these young seniors that are about to leave, you know, they understand there is a purpose that God has for them. It's not just to go get a college degree. It's not just to get a job. God wants to work in you and through you. And so hopefully for all of us in this room, we realize, you know what, that God has, God is going to give us hope. He's already given us hope. God wants to do some things in us and help us get to a place of mental wellness. We often talk about mental health. And when we hear mental health, it's almost, again, it's like a negative. But we want you to kind of start thinking from uh, mental health as may, maybe mental wellness. Hey, how do, I, how do I handle my mental health in a way that I'm moving towards wellness? Not just in, stuck in a place, but I'm moving towards that. And so a couple things I want us to look at today is trigger just to, uh, what does it mean? It means it's a stimulus that, require, that uh, creates a reaction or response. So in other words, if it's something negative, we often kind of will call that you know, uh, triggered. Well, we want to kind of, and I, like I said this earlier, we want to kind of reclaim that. We want to change trigger from a negative to a positive. Tell you, you know, because like, like you think about with Jesus, what Jesus did, you know, he saw the people that were hungry and he did what? He responded, he fed them. We talk about the feeding of the 5,000. Um, you know, we, Jesus saw someone who was blind and he would heal them. You know, he saw lepers who were crying out to him and he healed them. And so he responded. And so we need to figure out, hey, how do I, how do I respond in a positive way? How do I respond the way that God would have me respond rather than the way that this world teaches or maybe even the way that maybe my flesh wants to? Because our flesh is what gets in the way of us walking in step with the Spirit. And, and so we've got to, you know, ask ourselves, hey, am I feeding the flesh or am I feeding the Spirit? And then how do I get to the point where I respond the way that Christ would respond? I respond the way that the Holy Spirit would have me respond. And whenever I respond, it is a thing that honors God, not what my flesh desires and not even what this world says is okay, but I'm doing it in a way that honors God. And so whenever we, when we kind of say, you know what, I want to reclaim this and, and maybe those things that push my buttons, maybe, you know, triggered is uh, kind of, that's what sticks out to you. Hey, that's what pushes my button. You've got to be willing to say, you know what, I want to learn how whenever those buttons get pushed, I don't respond the way I always did. I'm not, I don't respond the way that maybe my flesh wants to. And I don't respond the way that the world says is okay. But I respond the way that Christ would respond. And I, I want to line up with that. I want to live in, in, in alignment with that. And so, Bill, you want to take this next one? Yeah. And so I think that, you know, part of what we have to do is we have to also uh, change the way that we uh, think. You know, a lot of times... The Bible talks about us renewing our mind. In fact, if you think about the armor of God that we put on, the very first thing we do is the helmet of salvation, which what? Protects our mind. And so a lot of times that's where the battlefield takes place. That's where our, the enemy is coming at us because he's attacking the way we think and the way we see things. And so we have a trigger that's associated with something in our past or something that has to do with something uh, that we have going on. I can remember uh, I had a friend who used to always, you know, when I'd ask him to do something, they'd say, 
sure. Well, that word for them really didn't mean I want to help you. What it really meant was, sure, if I have to. And so if I'm talking to Pastor Mike and I say, hey, Pastor Mike, you want to do this? And he goes, sure. What does that do? That absolutely triggers in my mind, not that he really wants to do it, and that's not really his intention. And, you know, as husbands and wives, we have those moments where we hear something because we've got to change the way we think. We have to change those things. We can't continue to think the same way and expect that things are going to be different. And so when we get saved, when we ask God to come in our heart and he starts doing stuff in our life, if we continue to think the way we did before... We're going to continue to get those results, and so we have to be able to change those things. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, which, let me say, is probably a little difficult for us. I know we struggle with that because everybody's doing it, right? Everybody does it that way. That's the way society is. Hey, everybody's like that. Everybody lives together before they get married. Everybody goes out and does that. Everybody's a part of that. And then that's what creates those ongoing triggers that were part of that old man. And so it says, don't copy the behaviors and the custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. I'm constantly saying, God, help me to think of this different. Help me to think of that person differently. If you got somebody in your life that triggers you, you need to figure out, hey, how can I think differently? Uh, I tell people all the time, pray for that person that is, is negative in your life. Because you can't continue to pray every day for somebody and continue to hate them. You can't do it because God will absolutely transform us as we do that. In fact, it goes on and it says, then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so as we look at those things, as we are challenged by those things, we're not just saying, hey, God, let me just continue to think the way I'm thinking. But God, change the way I think, change the way I see that, because if we can change how we think and how we see things, then we can change our outcome. Well, and and, and we've said this a thousand times, change the way you think, you change the way you live, right? And so a lot of us, you know, we've been trained by our family to think a certain way, and that may be wrong. So God's Word can transform our thinking, and when we change the way that we think, we change the way that we respond. We change the way we think, we change the way we live. We change a lot of things when we change the way that we think. And so it is important for us to to do that. So division is something that the devil loves to, uh, to, he he dwells there. So division is the devil's playground. you know, he, he loves to cause division in a church. He loves to cause division in a relationship. He loves to cause division in a, in a nation. I mean, that's where he lives. I, you know, I mean, he loves that. And if you ever see a lot of division or hate or whatever going on, I can promise you the enemy, mm-hmm. Satan, is involved in that. He, he's got his hands in that. And so whenever you see that happening, you go, you know what? That is of the devil. That is, a, that is the enemy at work. So division is the devil's playground. Even hell, when we talk about a place called hell, some people are like, well, we really don't want to talk about hell. Jesus did. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven because he didn't want anybody to experience that. But hell is a place of what? Separation, isolation. I mean, that's what, we, if you go back and you read the descriptions of hell, it's like, hey, listen, man, you're in total torment. You're by, you're by yourself. You're separated from everybody. You know, you're not going down there to be one of the good old boys with all your buddies. You're going down there to be separated and, you know, you're separated from God and everything else isolation despair and hopelessness who would want that nobody in their right mind would choose that but they choose it all the time because they choose to reject jesus and they choose to not live according to his teachings and and so the enemy loves division he loves there to be separation because that's his playground i mean that's where he dwells right but look at this it says the enemy wants to divide us because he wants us to he wants to turn our lives into a living hell you know, we, and many of you guys would say, well, that's where we are right now as a nation, you know. Uh, we're there because it uh, does, it seems like a living hell. And that's what the enemy loves is, is division. 
He loves to see there have be a lack of unity. I mean, that's what he lives for. That's what he's about. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, you know, I don't want to walk through life being divisive. God, I don't want to walk through life, you know, having uh, hate and bitterness and anger and resentment in my heart towards other people. I want Jesus to change the way that I think, change the way that I live, and change the way that I love. So the enemy loves that. That's what he does. So you got to understand this is a spiritual battle. You know, no matter what you're dealing with, whatever those triggers might be, it's a spiritual battle. And too often what we do is we respond the way that we've been trained again, or either the way that our flesh wants to, or, we, or, or the way that the world says, and we've got to say, God, I need you to change my thinking. Uh, we're, we're talking about this passage here, Ephesians. It says the final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. You just heard Bill talking about that, so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And one of his strategies is division. One of his strategies, hey, let's, 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 get, let's cause separation, however that might be. And so that's how he works. And so we need to understand, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so we are as divided as a nation in so many ways. We are divided as a nation as much as ever, and the enemy loves that. Whether it's generational divide, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here thinking about some of these graduating seniors. They're, they're young, they're, they're getting ready to go off. You know, and here, you know, Bill and I, we're the older guys. You know, some of you guys are older than us in here. And there's this generational gap. And, and, and so that's what the world tells us, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And then we got political gaps. You know, how you got to be this party or this party. Or then, you know, there's some other kind of divide. And what those things do is the enemy loves to use that to cause division. And we even see it in the churches. You know, you got all these denominations. Denomination is man-made. Man, that's not in the Bible. You know, but the thing is, is we say, well, this is my affinity group, and let's be this, and let's be that. This is what we believe. You know, and the thing is, we go back to, hey, what does Scripture say? And so the enemy loves division, loves division. And it loves to find some way to, hey, let's call separation here. And, the, and it's kind of like, hey, the more that we can divide them, the more that we can conquer them. That's the way the enemy thinks. And so, Bill, why don't you speak to that generational gap we talk about? So it really is interesting. I probably deal with this a whole lot more than, than most people do, but there are a lot of, you know, different generations and we all kind of get labeled and, and I know we don't like to be labeled. Okay. You know, uh, unless you're part of a certain group and we're talking about something positive, you know, we're okay to be for those that are millennials. You're okay to be a millennial. If we're talking about a, a positive aspect, millennials are this millennial. Oh yeah, that's great. And then they say something negative about a millennial. And then it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not a millennial. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I work a lot with, uh, with that Gen Z, that younger generation. And, um, and the most interesting thing is I'll say, you know, I'll say, well, what do you, what do you feel about that? And they'll go, oh, well, that's, that's not me. I, I tend to just, you know, go with different people. Well, that's one of the characteristics of Gen Z is that they don't believe that they have because they're trying to push away from those labels. They don't want to be labeled in regards to that. And so, uh, and I'm going to apologize up front. And, and for my friend right here, I'm going to apologize for you right now. But have you ever heard that phrase, Karen? You know, oh, that's just a Karen, right? <laughs> that is part of that ger generational divide right there, okay? That's really trying to say, oh, well, we know. What we're trying to say is that person is identified in a certain way, in a certain way, and we know that that, for my friend down here, Karen, that sits a trigger all over her. I know it does, because she's telling me, I hate that, and I understand that. But what about the okay boomer? Okay, boomer. Okay. And what's funny about that is that some of you guys don't even know what a boomer is. It's just anybody who says something that we don't agree with or something that we don't like, or we're like, Okay, boomer. Well, first of all, I'm not a boomer, so please stop calling me that. I don't care what you say. And, um, but all that is about that ongoing division. 
And that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to divide us. The enemy wants to find every little thing that says, hey, this is why you were this way and you were that way and we're separate and we're not on the same page. And that's not really what God wants. So when we talk about triggers, we talk about the trauma that comes with that. We are a traumatized society, you know, which is a sad thing to say. It's like everything just kind of causes trauma in our life. Everything causes, you know, I, that's, that, that's traumatizing to me. That's triggering to me. And we talk about those things. Um, but the reality is those things are true. You know, we do have trauma. I tell people all the time that we are a trauma-informed but not a trauma-responsive society. We are very aware of it. We talk about it all the time. We talk about trauma, but we don't actually do anything with it. And so one of the things that, uh, that we want to you know, kind of talk about is historical trauma. Those things are real. They are rooted. Uh, they root our triggers in the past much more than the present. And sometimes the enemy will come in and he kind of hits on that. Like, hey, you remember when you were there? No, because my old man has gone and I'm a new man. I'm a new man in Christ. I have a new life and I want to put that behind us. But we struggle with those sometimes. And so the triggers are caused by some of the trauma of our old life or our old man. And that's a way to seep it back in because if you're still that person, well, then it's okay to still do those things. And so that's a lot of times uh, and a lot of things that we deal with. We also struggle sometimes uh, with trauma of living with traumatized people. And uh, so I'm going to share this. I think my wife would be okay with this. I didn't ask her, so I uh, love you, babe. But I can remember our second day, our second day of being married, we were sitting on the couch, we were watching TV, we were talking about something, and I, and, and I was trying to get some information from her just to try to understand something, and, uh, and she started crying. And let me tell you, when your wife is crying on the second day of marriage, that just does not set things. You become traumatized, right? And, um, but we were having that moment, and what I realized is that something I said triggered something in her, not for me, had nothing to do with me. It had to do with something in her past, something else different. And let me tell you, just to be honest, there's times that, you know, that, uh, that I've been triggered by things, and I, and I have to remember that. I joke about that word, sure, but, you know, those are just simplistic things that trigger us to a response, and we've got to be able to control that. We've got to, again, like we've said, renewed our mind and understand that sometimes living with someone that's triggered or, or that's traumatized, living with people that have gone through traumatic things can affect us. Some of us have young adults, have children, have grandparents, have people that are in our life that have struggled with stuff because it's not always mental health. There's a lot of trauma that we deal with. And so those things, what? They become that ongoing uh, trigger in our life. Yeah. And the, the thing is, is we're talking about how the enemy uses division uh, to, to really, to, you know, and he'll use trauma to cause division in a marriage, in a family, you know, I mean, that's, that's what he does. He'll use that. And oftentimes what we do is we play into his scheme. And instead of getting healthy and getting, you know, uh, over that area to the point of where we're healthy and we respond differently, what we do is we continue to let that trigger set us off and it causes problems in our marriage or in our family or whatever. And, and we're, we're not willing to go deal with it the way that we need to deal with it. We, we're not allow, willing to allow God to change the way that we think. We're not willing to go to counseling because if you go to counseling, you may have to unpack some of that stuff, you know, and you may have to kind of bring it out on the table and you go, man, I want to try to forget about that. We can't forget about it. What you got to do is you got to do it. It's kind of like having a big splinter in there and you got to get that splinter out. Once you get that splinter out, then the healing begins, right? And so what we often do is we want to just kind of let it go sweep it under the rug type deal. And we've got to be willing to deal with that because the enemy will use that trauma in your life to rob you of life. And he'll rob you and the people around you of life. And that's, and that's not what God's plan is. God wants you to be able to be set free from that. Not to live in, under triggers and letting those things negative affect you the rest of your life. Jesus, you know, he wanted us to be unified. Jesus prayed for and desired unity. 
That's what he prayed for. We see it in John chapter 17. His desire is that we would be one, right? He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, talking about the ones that he had there, but all who would ever believe in me through their message. That's all of us. So Jesus has prayed for us to be one, to be unified, you know, that we would be on the same page. He says, I pray that they will be all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. In other words, us being unified is critical to the message of the gospel. Us being on the same page, being unified, being of one mind, one spirit, is, is critical for the world to see that. Because when the world sees all the division in the church, all the division in the body of Christ, they go, you know, I'm not sure that's really the message. I'm not sure that's really the truth. And so Jesus is praying for all of us that we would be one so that the, when people see it, they go, you know what, there's something different about them. They've been through all kinds of hell, but man, they live differently. They have been healed. They've been set free. They've been changed and transformed by the power of something. And maybe this gospel is real. And so Jesus prayed for all of us in that way. He says, I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So, so God is desiring that we be one. In your marriage, you know, the two shall become what? One. You know, you still have your differences or whatever, but you become one. And, and you're giving yourself to each other. And you say, hey, listen, man, God, we, we're giving ourselves to you. We want to be one as, as Jesus and the Father was one. And so we got to have that mentality. The Holy Trinity is a perfect example, a prime example of unity. They're, they're three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together with one mind, one purpose, right? With one kingdom, one mission. And so you see them working together, different skills, different abilities, different things that they do, different roles. But man, the thing is we see the unity that is there. Paul challenged the church uh, to be of one mind and purpose. He's talking to the church at Philippi. He said, hey, listen, man, I want you to guys be of one mind, one purpose. Don't be divided. You know, it's so easy to have turfism, even in the church, to where we go, hey, well, the, this is the ministry that's important to me. I really am missions-minded, so I want everybody to be missions-minded. Hey, when somebody says, well, I really care about children, so I really want us to be children-focused, and you've got to go, you know what, hey, it's all about the kingdom. We've got to work together with one mind, one heart, one spirit, right? And, and what the enemy loves to do is cause division. That's, what, that's his playground. So is, there, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship in, uh, together in the spirit? And the answer to all those is yes. You know, that's just rhetorical questions. He says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? That's one you got to answer and go, is my heart tender and compassionate towards others? You know, have I dealt with the issues in my heart? Or am I full of bitterness, anger, rage, malice? You know, do I have hate in my heart towards brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I have hate in my heart towards people that don't look like me, don't dress like me, don't act like me? But do I really have a heart for people? You know, and so we have to ask ourselves those questions. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. That's what we're supposed to do. And one of the best ways that we can do that, we talked about this last week, or John did, we heal best in community. We need each other. Last Monday night, we had like 193 people here in the room for Celebrate Recovery, six-year anniversary, and it was incredible. It was a party. And so, man, I'm just telling you, it was awesome to see, you know, people here being honest and transparent about their struggles and what they wrestle with. And then here's the thing is, man, we had like four incredible testimonies of true life change, true life change. And, and, and they're doing it in community. And I, I heard more than once saying, this is really my family. This is really my family. And so it was awesome to see that. And so John, Pastor John, who he's in Iowa this week, his, uh, his dad passed away, as you guys know, last, last uh, Saturday night. And uh, so he was up there for the, for the funeral and the celebration of life, I should say. 
and, uh, and he's on his way back, I think, today. But the thing is, is he is le- leading that team of people to say, hey, listen, let's deal with the real issues. Let's not just kind of cover them up, but let's really deal with them. And let's get healthy, and let's get whole, and let's lean into Jesus. And, and so it's important for us to do that. And so, Bill, you want to take this next section? And so, you know, a lot of times when we talk about community, I think, you know, we, we say it all the time. We say life is better together. And sometimes what we do is we focus on, well, life is better together with my people or life is better together with those individuals that I relate to or life is better together with my age group. And the reality is, is that not, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying community is, is specific to those things because we all have a role. I know that, you know, when it comes to like how we share our emotions, some of you guys in here, if I sat down with you, you would just unload every bit of your emotions and cry with me. And then there's some that y'all would never shed a tear. You're very careful on what you say. And those, again, those are those things that can tend to divide us in understanding instead of understanding that those are the things that unite us to be the different people and to engage the different ways that we, we should be. And really what the Bible teaches us is that it's our role to teach the younger ones uh, what we have seen God do. You know, when I would share with my boys, I didn't just say, hey, let me tell you what God's going to do your life. But let me, I would say, hey, this is what God has done in my life. This is how God has moved in my life and God has worked on my behalf. And so when we look at things in those ways and we look at that generational uh, differences, those aren't meant to be a divide. Those are meant to unite us. Those are meant to say, hey, I don't understand this, but this person over here does understand this. And this is something that they can, that I can grow from. And so, you know, I work with our young adults and I know I'm old as dirt sometimes to some of y'all. And then some of them like, oh, he's so young. What is that again? That's part of that, you know, differences in who we are. But it doesn't mean that we can't connect together and bring things together. In fact, Psalms really speaks to that. In Psalms uh, 71, 17, and 18, it says, Oh God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things that you do. And it goes on, and it says, Now that I am old and gray, like Pastor Mike, do not abandon me, oh God. Not like me. Don't look at mine. (laughs) Do not abandon me, oh God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation and your mighty miracles to all who comes after me. I don't want to just be that guy that's like, yeah, remember when it was the old days. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a God that served 20 years ago in my life. We're talking about a God that is powerful in my life today and a God that will continue to be powerful in my life. And so we're living that out before the generation now, before the generation to come, and so that it's a constant thing. It says in Psalms 145, it says, uh, great is the Lord and he is worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness let each generation tells its children of the mighty acts and let them proclaim your power and that's really what we're talking about let me tell you how God helped me to deal with the trauma in life let me tell you how God helped me to change the trigger from a negative to a positive let me tell you all the greatness of what God has done in my life and what God is going and can do and will do in your life today that's good well, and one of the things we need to understand is for moms and dads in the room, you know, we have a responsibility to teach our children. And uh, what we do so oftentimes is we, uh, we pass on generational sin because we're not willing to deal with it ourselves, so your child's going to deal with it. And, uh, and, and that's, pretty, that's a pretty selfish thing, to be honest with you, for a parent because most of the time we would think, hey, listen, I don't, want my, I don't want my child growing up feeling this way, but yet, you know, I did. But oftentimes what we do is we pass on that generational sin. And we got to be willing to say, God, I want you to deal with me, deal with me first so my child does not have to deal with that. And so as a parent, what you're doing is you're teaching the younger ones how they ought to live. But it's not just a parent as well. Like Bill talked about and, and Tony talked about earlier, we feel like we have a part in these students. I, I, I watched these uh, seniors walk up, what an incredible group. But Lacey Davis, who was the first one to walk up there, 
I remember her being in my home during, in a life group, crawling around in diapers, getting into everything. You know, and uh, I was like, hey, man, y'all get a hold of that kid. Man, what's she doing over there? You know, I didn't. But, but her mom and dad were in a life group with us, and we were working through things. We were doing life together. But I watched Lacey grow up, been able to challenge her, and she would date, I'd see her start dating a certain guy. Like, hey, man, I don't know if you need to be dating that guy, you know, because I want to teach her, and I want to invest in her. But even though she's not my child, and I think all of us in this room, we know that the Bible teaches about discipleship. We just don't want to do it sometimes. We don't want to get out of, you know, we don't want to get out of, our, out of our comfort zone and we don't want to step on somebody's toes. But, you know, there are times that we need to speak truth into someone's life and there are times we need to mentor. And I would just say, maybe there's some of you in this room or some of you that are watching online that you have been set free from some type of historical trauma. You have been set free from something. And just like Bill was talking about, we need to tell the younger generation about that. And not only tell them about it, but man, show them, you know, our wounds, our scars and how we have been healed. And God will use us to do great and mighty things, not only in our own personal life, but in their lives as well. And so we need to understand how critical, you know, discipleship is. Discipleship is critical. And here's what I love. It builds unity. Jesus took 12 guys and he did life with them and he began to invest in them. He poured into them. He set them free. He taught them how to be free from things, right? And he, he literally invested in them. He said, hey, listen, guys, I want you to go out and do the same thing with other people. So discipleship is critical to me, number one, overcoming and becoming the man or the person that God wants me to be. And then it also builds unity because I'm spending time with people. I'm of one mind. I'm of one accord. I'm doing what, you know, what Scripture teaches. Jesus came and told his disciples, this is the Great Commission. This is one of the things that drives us as a church. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That means he is able to overcome anything, right? It doesn't matter what it is. He's over that. He has authority over anything and everything. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. So that's a, that's a marching order for me. That's a marching order for you. It doesn't matter if you're called to the ministry or not. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility to make disciples. We all do. And if you're not discipling somebody, you're not being obedient to what Jesus commanded us to do. You as an individual. So we're to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, so we're to baptize. And so it goes back to what we were saying earlier. That old man is dying, that old way of living, that old way of thinking, all those, that stuff. We're dying to that. We're being raised to the newness of life. We're being changed and transformed by the power of God. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. That goes to every one of us. So let me ask you this. Who are you teaching? Who are you teaching the things of God? You might say, well, Mike, I'm not a life group leader. You don't have to be. Who do you sit beside at work? Who do you sit beside at school? Who do you sit beside where, where you have an opportunity to teach them the things of God? You know, so we all have that responsibility. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're afraid, hey, I don't know enough, Jesus say, hey, listen, I will be with you. I'll give you the words to say, but you need to know what my word says. You know, spend time in God's Word. And so it's important for us to be able to do that. We've got to understand, you know what, man, we have a, a job, a responsibility. It's not to just come sit in church, sing a few songs, you know, and then go, hey, man, it was a great service today. But it's, hey, you know what, I'm a disciple maker. So if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, you know, then you need to understand you need to be making disciples. You need to be pouring into somebody and teaching this new generation. Not going, I can't stand this new generation, but going, you know what, I'm praying for them. And I'm going to teach them what I have seen God do. That's our responsibility. And here's my favorite part of this message is right here is in this next phrase. Because the reality is, is that there is hope That's in right. Jesus. 
There is hope in Jesus. And I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm not talking about hope in the sense of, hey, I hope it won't rain today. Hey, I hope that my kid will do what I want him to do. I hope they graduate. I'm not talking about that hope. I'm talking about the source of hope. I'm talking about the fact that we can look and trust and rely upon God and that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he handles those things in our life. And so my hope is in him, not in a wishful concept, but my hope is in him because I know that he is going to take care of me. He is the source of hope in my life. In fact, when we read here in Romans chapter 12, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, the source of hope. If you're, if you're lacking hope, it's not in that wishful thinking. It's not in just figuring out yourself. It's in saying, hey, let me go to the source of hope because it says he will fill you completely with joy and peace. Man, our society needs some peace, right? Do we not Amen. need that? Right. And it says he will that he will fill us completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope, confident hope, <laughs> Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That scripture right there, I could have just put that up there and we could have just talked about this scripture this whole time because it speaks so much to not just who our source is, not about just having joy and peace, but about the confidence that we give and that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life because I'm not doing it on my own. I can't make it on my own, but I can trust and rely upon him. And it says also in Romans chapter 12, it says, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. I know that sometimes things seem overwhelming. I know things seem constant. I know that you, some of you guys in here have dealt with things and you deal with it every day. Every day that is before you. Every day it's in front of you. Every day you deal with that trigger. Every day you deal with that trauma. But be confident and be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And it says this. It says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Some of you guys in here, you, you're not dealing with that. This is, a, this is a good message, a good understanding for you. But you're like, hey, I'm not really triggered by stuff. Well, maybe the person that drives in front of me. But other than that, I'm not really triggered by anything. I'm okay. I don't really deal with my mental health. I feel pretty good. And you you know what your role then is to help those around you right. look for those that really are those that just need somebody to talk to there may be a mom out here that's dealing with a child that's having some drug issues and what they need is just someone they can sit down and talk to that's not trying to fix the problem but will just listen to them that will just rely upon them that will help them just say hey sometimes we all just need that hug right to say hey it's gonna be okay isn't that a trigger in itself? When you see somebody that you've not seen in a while, what do you do? I'm triggered to hug you. I'm triggered to love you. Jesus was triggered that way. He was triggered and moved by the compassion of people around him. And that's really what we want. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about that hope and him being the source of hope. Oh, that's good. Well, and the thing we want you guys to understand is there is hope. You may feel, be here today. You may be watching online and you feel trapped. And, and, and you're going, hey, Mike, a lot of things you've said, that, that's where I'm at. Well, then let's, let's do something about that. You know, let's, let's take a step. And uh, hopefully God is going to, you know, there's going to be a response today. Uh, in Jesus, there's peace. There's peace in Jesus, right? And, and maybe you t today you're sitting here and you feel, you know, turmoil. You feel chaos. You feel like you're trapped in something. You know, God, God does not want you living that way. That's not God's plan. Jesus wants you to experience abundant life, right? He wants you to be transformed. He wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to experience the very best that he has for you. And so there's peace in Jesus. I love this passage here. It says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. There's harmony, unity again. But clothe yourselves in love, not, bit, not bitterness, hatred, anger, resentment, malice, you know, none of that stuff. But to clothe yourselves with literally the love that comes from God. God is love, right? So you're clothing yourself with the things of God. And let the peace that comes from Christ 
rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. So we're to be thankful that God is, number one, even convicting us today. You know, and maybe, you know, he's, maybe he has triggered you in some way, but it's not a negative thing. It's a positive response to what his word has said. It's a positive response in the right direction. That's what we're looking for. Look at this passage here out of John uh, 14, 27. It says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. If you're looking for the world to meet that need, you won't ever find it. Jesus tells us that. The only place you're ever going to find true peace, healing, and wholeness is by putting your faith in who he is, by trusting him completely, by surrendering your life to him, and surrendering even your troubles, and not trying to control everything or fix everything, but to let it go and give it to God. That's That's where we find this peace at. And so the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That's the enemy, right? We talked about his whole job is division. You know, he wants to cause separation. He wants to not, he wants the young people to go, man, those old people don't know what they're talking about. If you get into his word, if you're a believer and you're a young person, you go, you know what? The Bible tells me to seek out the wisdom of those who are older. And then it tells the older, hey, man, you know, don't despise the youth, man. You get behind them. You support them. We ought to be as excited about this next generation as we ever have been because we're praying for them. We believe in them. And we're teaching them, right? We're not complaining about them. We're saying, hey, well, listen, we, I want these guys to go out and be world changers. Man, they, they go out and they take the gospel. They live out their faith. They discover their purpose and they live for that. And so we're not despising them. We're, we're praying for them. We're, we're getting behind them. We're sending them out. Here's some next steps, and I, I think these are, are all important here. Trust Jesus completely with everything. It's the most important decision you can make. You've got you to trust Him completely. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work as only the Holy Spirit can work. You've got to let Jesus have everything. You can't hold back. And then this one, it talks about seek the appropriate help needed. See, my prayer is that God is going to use what we've said today or what His Word says that's going to trigger somebody in here or somebody watching online to finally go get the help that you need whatever that appropriate help may need. And it may be counseling. You know, Bill, I mean, you, you, you deal with kids all the time. What are some of the appropriate ways that someone could find help This may be dealing with some of the issues we've talked about today? Yeah, I think the biggest deal is that we have to overcome the fear that we have in talking about mental health and mental well-being. A lot of times when we hear that, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. You know, and, and again, how many times has the spouse asked the other one, hey, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm good. You know, and I've actually had some conversations where I'll say to them, hey, what's going on with you? And I go, for real, for real, what's going on? And then I'll get a response. Tell me what's really going on. But sometimes we have to be in that mode to do that because we are those people that like to go, hey, how you doing? Good, great. And then we move on. And so we've got to overcome that fear of what mental health is. Um, but, you know, sometimes you need counseling. Somebody, you need to talk through something with somebody. When, um, when we have young adults that are getting married, we encourage them, go to premarital counseling. It's not because they're telling you to get married or not to get married. We know you've already made that decision. What we want to do is to help you through some things you're not thinking about. And so, so sometimes a counselor, a therapist can help you uh, to do those things. Sometimes you need medication. Woo, I know sometimes that's a, that's, a, that's a thing, right, when we talk about medication. But sometimes, you know, think about this. We have a, a, a God that knows all things, who has allowed some great doctors and some that's great right. people to figure those things out. I do understand that we are over-medicated society at times, and that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying there are times that there are things that we can do that will help us to stabilize the way we think or maybe the changes in. That's part of our generational too, right, is that we get older, our body does different things. And for some of us whose cholesterol goes sky high and I eat the best I can and I'm still having issues. So whatever it is, 
Don't be afraid of those things, but reach out to those. Reach out to the counselor. Reach out to that therapist. Talk to your doctor. See what you've got to do. There are a lot of options of what we can do, and don't be afraid about that. But talk to somebody. Again, we are built for community and not to be on our own and try to figure it on our own. Yeah, that's spot on. You know, one of the things what we do is we let pride get in the way, and we're like, well, I don't really need anything for my depression or whatever. I don't need any medicine. You know, I'm not crazy. That's what we always say, right? But here's the thing is, you know, if, if we were battling, you know, insulin issues, we wouldn't have a problem taking that medicine. Like, like I'm battling a kidney, kidney stone all week long, and I'll go ahead and tell you, if it gets bad enough, I will take pain medicine. I'm not that stupid, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I could use that. And so the thing is, is we will take medicine, medicine for certain things, but we go, I don't, wanna, I don't want to mess with my mind. But here's the thing, it may help your mind, and that's okay. God can do whatever God wants to do, and He can use medicine, and He's blessed us for those gifts. So we need to be willing to say, get the appropriate help as needed. And then here's the other thing, find a spiritual mentor. You know, find someone that can pour into you, you know, and, and, and spend time with them. Take them to lunch. I mean, invest in, in, in a relationship with them. And then I would also say you got to find somebody that you can pour into as well. You know, join a life group uh, for community. Get in a life group. Don't just hear me talk about it all the time. Say, you know, I know I need to do that, but actually do it. Take a step. Get involved in a community you know, or a life group. Get involved in some way so that you can have a, a part, you know, and somebody can pour into you. But we need someone to pour into us, someone to disciple us. You know, and so here's the thing is, we can talk about all this stuff, but really it's your choice. It's your decision. I can encourage it. Bill can encourage it. But you have to make the decision. If you really want to get healthy, if you want to become whole, if you want to be transformed, then you have decisions to make and steps to take. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe something that was said today did trigger you. And I'm not sure how you responded. Maybe immediately you went negative. Maybe immediately it caused maybe a shortness of breath, a tightness in your chest, a little bit of anxiety. I mean, let me just tell you this, that's not God. That's the flesh. That's the world. That's you. And you've got to be able to say, God, I give you everything. I give you all of it. The Holy Spirit says, hey, listen, I can make you whole. I can heal you. I can give you peace. We just read scripture after scripture about hope and peace. And so maybe today God is saying to you, hey, listen, it's time to get healthy. It's time to be an overcomer. It's time to be set free. It's time to be redeemed. It's time to be set free. And so maybe for you, you're sitting there and you go, Mike, I'm struggling, but that's where I'm at. I feel like God has called me to that place today. I want to encourage you today to take a step. And that step may be to walk down an, an aisle and go to an altar. Maybe it's to pray. Maybe it's right where you're at. You get on your knees and you say, God, today I begin a step in a road towards healing. I'm tired of continuing to battle the same battles over and over and over. I'm, I'm tired of being separated and divided in my family and my relationships. I want there to be unity. And so today, I want to respond by faith to do the right things, to take the right steps. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Him. Let me tell you, the most important decision you'll ever make, and, it, and, it, and it, to be honest with you, it's, it comes first before any of the other decisions, is to say, Jesus I need you in my life. I need a relationship with you. Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to change me. I need you to begin this transformation. 
And so if you're watching online or you're here in the room, I want to encourage you to say, Jesus, I put my faith in you for salvation. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came to this world. I believe you died on a rugged cross to pay for my sins. And Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I believe that you can heal me. I believe that you can change me. I believe that you can save me. And so Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you be my leader? Will you be my Lord? I give you everything, and I trust you. If that is your prayer, if that is your prayer, then, man, we would love to know. Just let us know. Hey, man, I prayed, I prayed that prayer today. I put my faith in Christ for salvation. You can indicate it on a card. You can text my decision to 94,000, whatever it might be. We want to celebrate that with you. But the worship being fixing to come, they're going to lead us in a song response. So how will you respond today to what the Holy Spirit has, has done in your life today, what He spoke to you, what He's revealed today? What will you do with it? I just want to encourage you to just be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do. I want to ask everybody to stand all across the room. Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for the message. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that, God, that we need you. We are so desperately in need of you. And so, Father, move in this moment as only you can. Draw us close. Breathe your life into us, God. And I pray for some people in this room to finally find freedom. For those that are watching online, Father, let their chair, get down beside their couch, whatever it might be, let that be the place where they surrender once and for all, and you begin to change them. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team, lead us.